All right, here we go. So the, the title of today's message is Taking a Stand. We're continuing in our Rocky series, uh, and we're going to be looking at a time in Peter's life when he needed to take a stand. Uh, you know, from, from the stories that we see in the Bible about Peter, we can conclude that this was a guy that he didn't really have a lot of trouble saying and doing what was on his mind. Right? And for better or for worse, he kind of got himself into situations where he just said what he was thinking, or he did what he was feeling, uh, and he just rolled with that. You know, uh, he's a first century fisherman. These guys were, they were tough. You know, they were gruff, unkempt, shabbily dressed. They're, they're loose with their tongue, you know, kind of like a sailor, right? I imagine that Peter was just this man's man, right? He said what was on his mind, didn't care what anybody thought about what he was saying, right? Between this, these demands of this physical job and then this uncertainty uh, of the storms that they would be out. You know, they didn't have their like weather app so that they can necessarily see, oh, well, it's going to rain at this time and so we shouldn't go out fishing today. Um, you know, but Peter was probably a pretty tough guy uh, overall. You know, sort of a little bit like Rocky Balboa, right? Kind of tough. Uh, went to the school of hard knocks, that sort of thing. Uh, I wanted to look at a couple examples of his life just as we set the stage talking about him as a guy. And we're going to look at this, uh, this specific time when, when he took a stand, uh, when it maybe wasn't easy to do. Uh, but let's first go to Matthew 4. We're just going to hit a couple of these really quick, talk about Peter and his character. Matthew 4, uh, verse 18. And this is uh, something that we uh, have read before, but it's something, uh, you know, it's when Jesus called these guys. Verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Peter's a man of action. At once, you know, this guy calls me, I'm going to go. Uh, Mark 8.29. Mark 8.29. He's a little bit further along in the ministry, and, uh, and Jesus is asking Peter and the rest of the apostles a question directly. He says, well, what about you, he asked, verse 29 there. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You know, everybody else is just kind of quiet. There's crickets, maybe. Uh, they're all like, I don't know, is this a trap? You know, what should we really say? We have a feeling that we know. Peter, yeah, you're the Messiah. He just puts it right out there, not afraid to say and do what was on his mind. Uh, one more here, John 18, verse 10. This is uh, one of my favorite little uh, segments about Peter. He's so rash, so brash, so, uh, so ready to do what was on his mind and to take a stand. John 18, there in the garden. It says, Then Simon Peter, verse 10, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And then they give us his name. Uh, the servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? You know, in each gospel, we get a little bit more of the character of Peter. He was this guy that was just ready to take a stand. Uh, take a stand. Uh, we see the details of his life, and, and we just get that he has some kind of uncanny ability to just always be putting his foot in his mouth and uh, kind of doing and saying the wrong thing. Uh, and Jesus, you know, talks to him harshly uh, a lot of the times. Um, but, you know, he speaks up when, when nobody else would, too. And I think in that, uh, we see a great aspect of his character. You know, like when he claims you know, Christ is the Messiah. 
You know, that's something that the other apostles weren't ready to do, maybe, but he was. So let's move beyond the Gospels. Uh, we're going to talk now uh, specifically uh, in Acts 8. So you can be turning over to Acts 8. Uh, first, we're going to start with uh, reading a little bit about Philip, but our, uh, our hero, Rocky, will, will show up in the story, I promise you. Uh, we'll start in Acts 8, verse 4, and we're going to try and get this context of what's going on in this situation uh, when, when Rocky shows up to, to take a stand. We're going to read in verse 4. It said, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. All right, so Philip uh, is one of the guys in Acts 8. When there is persecution, these guys are scattered, and they preach the word everywhere. And Philip is one of these guys, and so the place that he was scattered to was Samaria. And he was uh, then now preaching Christ. You know, it, it says in the beginning of the chapter there that they, they preached wherever they went. Uh, Philip, the place that he ended up, uh, is in Samaria. And so he's extending the salvation of Jesus to these people, beginning with the Samarians. If I was Philip, uh, and if you have some concept of the Jew and Samarian relationship... That's not exactly where I would want to flee to. Uh, that's probably the, like, the one place that I would avoid. Uh, the city of Samaria, 600 years before this, uh, was conquered by the Assyrians. And uh, well, the Assyrians conquered this area that was uh, the northern Israel, which became Samaria, right? Uh, and they deported all the wealthy and middle-class Jews from the area. Then they moved in this pagan population from afar. Right, these pagans intermarried uh, with the lowest classes of the remaining Jews in northern Israel. And these people, we now know, become the Sumerians. So it's the group of people that the Jews are like, we're not going to associate them with all, uh, or with them at all. Generally speaking, the Jews just hated the Sumerians. Uh, they considered them you know, compromising half-breeds. Right? Uh, they, they corrupted the worship of the true God. There's this deep-seated prejudice, uh, uh, accounting almost to hatred, and it's standing you know, in between the Jews and the Sumerians. So that's a little bit what Philip is getting himself into. Uh, James and John and, and the other apostles, they once thought that the only real way to deal with the Sumerians was just to call down fire from heaven. You know, in, in Luke 9, uh, Jesus is talking, or Jesus is uh, going through Samaria, sending a messenger through Samaria, but then they don't let him go through. And so James and John are like, should we call down fire from heaven and just burn them all up? Right? And, and that was kind of their solution. Well, how do we deal with the Sumerians? Just, just, God, just wipe them off the face of the earth. Right? And so that's a little bit of the context here. Uh, Jesus' experience with the Samaritan woman at the well, right? Uh, he shows kindness. And it's, it's an intense story because it's so unexpected. Right? There was so much prejudice surrounding the situation. Yet, this is the group that Philip is preaching to. He's preaching Christ to them. Um, and because Jesus is being preached, there's no room for any kind of prejudice, right? Uh, there's no room for any kind of barrier, barrier that would prevent Philip from being able to share all of the message of Christ with them. And that message is that whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, anything else, we're all free in Christ. And he's preaching this message to them. Uh, undoubtedly, uh, though, part of the reason why he was able to be fruitful uh, with 
his preaching about Jesus uh, was because of the ministry that Jesus did specifically in Samaria, right? Jesus is planting seeds, and now Philip is being able to reap the harvest of those seeds that Jesus planted uh, before. Uh, let's carry on with our story here in Acts 8. We're going to go to verse 9, and we're going to meet kind of an interesting guy. Uh, Tracy would probably call him a cat, but I, I don't know. You know this crazy cat uh, in Samaria, I don't know. That's probably what he would say. For me, he's just a guy. He's a, he's a guy. So uh, we're going to read about Simon the sorcerer, right? And he's one of these guys that's getting preached to by Philip. Okay, so verse 9, we're going to start off here. It says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and that all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Now this guy, Simon, he had a, a pretty good degree of, of local fame. Right? He had this following built up. He was honored as one that didn't only have the power of God, but they referred to him as, uh, they, they said, this man is the great power of God. That's crazy, right? These Samaritans, they had a couple things not quite straight. But they were following, uh, they were following this guy Simon. And you know, In the Bible, uh, sorcery is uh, associated often with magical practices, right? Um, but often that would go along with taking like mood-altering drugs, right? And so when we even talk about sorcery today and we go back uh, to talk about it with our friends about sin, and uh, you know, that, that's, it's all kind of connected. You know, altering your, your existence, altering your mind uh, would be considered under that realm of sorcery, right? And so whatever the power that this guy had, though, certainly not the power of God. Uh, if anything, uh, the, the power of Satan as he is taking people captive and... Uh, really just uh, impressing them with this power. The specific wording here, uh, and it's a good distinction to make, so the, the specific wording here is talking about Simon as a magi. And we hear about magis, right, in Matthew 2. Uh, there are these guys that uh, they're astronomers and scientists of the day, uh, but local wizards and sorcerers, they would also like take on this name to say, yeah, we're scientists and, and, uh, and astronomers too. But no, they were just taking that name. And so uh, while Simon might have referred to himself as a magi, you know, Simon Magi, uh, not quite the same thing. You know, the, this isn't the same type of person who was, you know, saying, oh, look at the stars, something crazy is happening. You know, this is what was foretold and prophesied about that Jesus would come. You know, that, that, that's not the same type of guy, right? Uh, the Samaritans, they, they wrongly assume that because Simon had this power, it's from God. But simply, that's just simply not the case. But the interesting, that I, the, the interesting thing that I find, even though he had all this fame, he had all this attention, uh, when it comes down to it, when the message of Christ is preached, he actually accepts the message. And he, and he, and he is baptized as well. Uh, later on, we can kind of question why he did it, but uh, we'll get there here in a moment. Um, he's amazed. You know, he sees this power that, it's like, wow, how, how are these guys doing this? 
right? And so he's really captured by Philip's preaching and his miracles uh, to the people that were being healed so, and is baptized. Uh, let's go ahead and continue reading here in Acts uh, 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So these guys are like, Samaria? Out of all places, Samaria has accepted the word. We gotta go. We gotta, we gotta see this. This is something different. This is something new. So they went there uh, to kind of catch up with Philip in his ministry. And then they, they, they begin then to share the Holy Spirit. Um, so this is kind of a confusing thing. Uh, it's kind of a confusing part of the Bible. What we can know for sure, though, is that something special is happening here and that they brought the Spirit of God with them, right? Uh, Peter uh, was given the keys of the kingdom, uh, so he was then sharing that with them. So Philip shared with them part of the message. Peter and John also share with them part of the message uh, the amazing thing is that they're then able to share the Holy Spirit with a group of people that you never would have expected would have been able to be affected by that, for them to change their life and to be able to now focus on something totally new and different. Uh, let's keep on reading here in Acts uh, 8.18. I want to kind of get to Peter and how he takes his stand against something that he sees as just uh, inexcusable, something that's wrong, something that he just can't stand for. Pick up in uh, Acts 8, verse 18. It says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands can receive the Holy Spirit. Alright, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's talk about this. Simon thought it was a great idea to then be able to kind of bribe the apostles for this magical ability that they had to pass along the Holy Spirit. We can already see that his motivation uh, isn't really very good, right? Uh, he sees Peter and John lay their hands on the Samaritans. Something happens. He's impressed by this, and he wants it. Offers him money. Uh, uh, but we all know that the, the Holy Spirit isn't something that can be bought or sold. It's not something uh, that we can earn. Uh, it's not something uh, that we could trade to get. But people do some crazy things for money, right? They uh, uh, even go as far as, you know, selling their soul, uh, putting everything out there to say, hey, man, I, I want this ability. Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, so the word simony, or the, the practice of simony, you know what that is? It's, it's the word that we use as sin when someone is buying or selling church offices or privileges and, and doing it in the same spirit as Simon. So uh, it's like you, you're paying for reparation for your sins. Like that's simony, right? And so why do we use that? Because of this occurrence of Simon wanting to buy for improper motives, right? Um, you know, he, he just thinks, man, if, if I'm able to do this, if I'm able to lay my hands on anybody and have them receive the Holy Spirit, you know, we try and think about what his motivation was. And it wasn't so that he could just pass along the Holy Spirit like they could. But I think his motivation was more that he could continue to have this fame. He could continue to have this attention. He could continue to be looked at in the eyes of people 
to be, oh, well, this guy has it all together, right? He has this ability that's different, and I like that. I want that. Let's see, though, how, uh, how Peter responds to this. Let's see what, what Rocky does. Uh, we know that Rocky doesn't, uh, he doesn't just keep things to himself, right? He's going to tell Simon what he thinks. So this is what he says here in verse 20. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. All right, cool, Peter. He does not, uh, he does not let up. He lets Simon hear it. He's like, I don't know what you learned or understood previously from, from Philip. Let me fill in the gaps for you, though, man. This is not what it's about. He just lays them out. You can't purchase the gifts of God with money. Simon was so wrong in his understanding that, that he deserved this strong rebuke. He, he, he really deserved for Peter to just lay him out and say, look, I've got to stand for something. This is what I'm standing for. You can't, you can't buy the Holy Spirit. You can't buy this ability. It's something that only comes from God. Now, I imagine uh, myself in that situation, uh, maybe I was Philip, maybe I'm John, but I'm seeing Peter say this to Simon. Probably uncomfortable. <laughs> Probably hard to watch. Uh, and, and isn't that the case, though? Uh, you know, when, when you're in a situation where uh, maybe it's a young disciple, and that's exactly, what, that's exactly what the situation is here. You know, this is a young disciple uh, who's been baptized, right? And for all intents and purposes, it looks like he's attending church uh, functions, right? He's following around Philip. It says wherever he went. In, uh, in Acts 8.13, right, he's, he's expressed the belief of, Phil, uh, you know, of the teaching, uh, of the preaching of Philip. He believes it. He receives Simon. Uh, Philip receives Simon as some kind of follower, too, right? Philip goes on and, and actually baptizes him. So there's, there's got to be something in this conversion that he's having where it's not all just fake. Uh, he's doing some things that it seems like he's motivated. But he's just, he's a young Christian. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand and so if we were in that situation, you know, and we're seeing Peter say this, we might be like, oh, wow, I mean, couldn't you have said it in a little bit of a different way? He's a brand new Christian. Like, he doesn't, he, whoa, whoa, he doesn't really get it all yet. But that, that's not what Peter does. Uh, Peter just tells him exactly what was wrong, why it was wrong, and he also gives him, though, some direction. He gives him some, uh, some things that he can do next, and uh, that's what we'll talk about here. You know, he <laughs> yeah, he just really lays my, you have no part or share in this ministry. But he doesn't just leave it at what his actions are. He goes on to talk about what his heart was, right? And, and he addresses the heart. Something that I find really, uh, really interesting is that the words that Peter uses are the same words that are used by Jesus when he's talking to Peter. Uh, remember the situation when Peter's having his feet washed. He uses the same words. He says, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. And that's the same phraseology that is used by Peter. He's like, unless you, right, then you will have no part. He understood the heart. 
but he also used the same teaching that Jesus used to him as he needed to really change. Without doubt, Simon's headed in the wrong direction. You know, we can be sure of that. He needed this rebuke. Uh, you know, we, we could say even that he was, he was headed towards hell. You know, uh, he said, your money perish with you. It's, it's almost like, you know, and, and excuse me for saying it this way, but to hell with you and your money. That, that's almost how we could translate it, right? He's like, just, this is going to perish, right? And that, that's, that's almost what he's saying. Simon is poisoned by this bitterness. He's bound by sin, but Peter doesn't attempt to cast just this demon of bitterness and iniquity out of him. Instead, he just he takes a stand, right? He calls him to repentance. He says, repent, therefore, to prayer. He says, pray to God and to righteousness, dealing with the thoughts of his heart, with the feelings of his heart. You know, maybe it was pride that prevented Simon uh, from having this genuine belief in Jesus. Uh, I, I'm not really sure, you know, what exactly it was. But, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, when, when, we're pri- when we're prideful, uh, we have just this outward display of faith because we know that it's the right thing to do in the eyes of other people, right? We know that, man, if I just do it in this way, people will see me in a certain way, they'll understand me in a certain way, I'll be respected in this certain way, but then we don't, we don't let it go beyond an intellectual understanding, and we just say, oh, well, you know, this is good enough. Uh, you know, me understanding is good enough. Uh, let's continue to read here in, uh, in Acts 8, 24. So this is more of what Simon is saying. This is uh, the directions that he's giving him. He says, pray to the Lord for me. So, so this is what Simon says back to Peter. Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing that you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Uh, Simon's response is kind of funny, and uh, it's kind of typical, I think, of the response that we might expect, right? He says, pray to the Lord for me. You know, Peter says, pray to the Lord and repent. And he's like, you pray for me. Like, he immediately passes the buck because he doesn't understand that the relationship is one in between him and Christ and not this relationship of the guys that are teaching him about Christ. You know, it shows that Simon felt this true conviction of the Holy Spirit, but he wasn't willing to humble his own heart before God. You know, Peter couldn't humble Simon's heart for him. Uh, he could tell him what to do, but he certainly couldn't humble it for him. He couldn't repent for him and... Uh, he certainly couldn't pray. I mean, okay, he could pray for him, right? He could pray for him, but if Simon's only answer to this is, you pray for me, then we can see that he doesn't really get it. You know, the, the, this door of repentance and getting his heart right, it's, it's all open, it's all ready, it's all waiting for him. But he's just got to take it, and, and Peter couldn't do it for him. In words that we might say, it's kind of like a cop-out, you know. Uh, he's like, well, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but can you do it for me? You know, uh, your discipler or, or a preacher or your, your good friend, uh, they can't make these decisions for you. Uh, when you know that there's an issue in your own heart uh, or an issue in the heart of somebody else, you know, it goes both ways. It has to be your individual relationship with God, your individual decision to repent and be right. You know, we don't really know exactly what happens to Simon, um, but 
you know, we don't, we don't know if, if he followed through with, with these instructions that Peter gave him in, in Acts 8.24. Uh, church tradition, in some ways, says that he went off the deep end. You know, he, he didn't make it. Uh, it is possible that he repented and he eventually got his God, but, but we don't necessarily see that. Uh, we know what it certainly happened is that he had to wrestle through some things if he was going to make it. We're, we're going to begin to wrap up here. You know, people, they're, they're really willing to do crazy things uh, for money, and, and maybe that was part of what, you know, what the motivation of Simon was. He, people do crazy things uh, for, for fame or for attention uh, so that people will see them in a certain way. But when those situations are there, uh, we've got to be able to be like Peter and really take a stand. You know, and, and take a stand uh, for what is right for what is going to actually lead us to a repentance where we can get our heart right, change our mind about what, we, what we've been thinking, and really have our actions follow behind. Simon wanted the blessings of Jesus, but there's no real hint of him wanting the responsibility that came with following Jesus. Right? He passes the buck when Peter says, you know, pray and, and repent, and he, we don't see those things necessarily. He says, you pray for me. He had this attitude where, you know, what can Jesus do for me? What, what can I benefit from, from being in the folds of Christianity? Rather than, you know, what can I do for Jesus? Can I really give up everything for him? Peter had to be really hard with Simon. Uh, I find it interesting. It's like before Peter was Peter, he was Simon. And so, I don't know, maybe he was even connecting with him over that. I, I'm not sure. But he, he goes, man, you don't get it. You don't get it. He had to be strong with him. He had to be harsh in a way. He had to say, look, this is not what it's all about. Look at the big picture. You know, the, we don't really have a great indication that Simon uh, was lost, that he never really became a Christian. But at the very least, we know that he was a young disciple and he needed some extra guidance. And, and so if you're in a situation where you're like, man, I, I haven't been doing this for a real long time, and there are some things that, that other people come down and they're like, why don't you get this? Don't you understand this? You just take those things as humbly as you can and, and, and take it with a grain of salt. Repent, you know, repent. Take those things. Those brothers and sisters, they're trying to help you. They're trying to help you uh, not be in danger of losing your soul. Uh, Simon wanted to do this, uh, for, you know, for, for all the wrong reasons. He needed some tough love from Peter. Uh, and uh, he certainly got it because Peter's a guy that uh, didn't hide what he was feeling, thinking. Uh, he just let it all, all out. Questions to consider and ask yourself as we close out here. You know, what do you stand for? Uh, do people know it? You know, if you walk into a situation where someone's proclaiming that they're a Christian, but you know that there are situations that are preventing them from really living the life that they're called to live, do you stand up and say, you have no part in this ministry if you continue to live like this? But do we also give them uh, the big picture, uh, allow them to be able to see that it's about the heart, not just about doing uh, you know, a checklist of what you should and shouldn't do. But do people really know what you stand for, and do you stand up for it? And ultimately, uh, you know, if you're going to take a stand for God, it's always got to be about bringing God glory. Uh, because if we're bringing ourselves glory, then we just find ourselves in a situation like Simon, uh, where we ask for other people to pray for us, for other people to repent for us, uh, which is not uh, n not the life that is intended for us. Uh, let's think about these things as we uh, continue on in our Christian walk. Amen.